Hello, all, and welcome to the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kubal, and I have with me today a very special guest, Scott Odin. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Scott's coming back his second time with us. Last time we just had, I called it a, a, a magic day because I had you, Mallory Kuhn, and Michael R. Fletcher, and no matter what we talked about, it just seemed like it was a really good discussion. So, Yeah, but that Fletcher guy, I mean. I know, right? It's just sad. <laughs> sad waste of Canadians. <laughs> I'll tell him he said so. He's probably watching this. So. <laughs> I'll tell him, make sure you watch Scott's two episodes. Uh, yeah, it was a really good day. I just thought we had too many good things, so I didn't want to stop us. Uh, so we'll go back to uh, those questions right now. And if you guys are watching, this is part two again. Uh, you can watch the first part. It'll be um, the week before this one. So please make sure you go back to that because... Scott had some really good things to say. I might have a word with him. It was okay. <laughs> uh, but I felt like we had a really good discussion. So, oh, yeah. uh, particularly on your character development, uh, world building. So, definitely a must see. We're going to start in with a fourth question. How do you go about researching ideas for a book such as A Gathering of Ravens? Well, for that one, I start. Since it is historical fantasy, I start with the history side. And uh, the easiest way for me to do this is to make a timeline of actual historical events, then see where I can fit fiction into it. So, you know, I'll get, I probably have about a half a dozen research books. Uh, I prefer to research with some sort of encyclopedia of the time period that I'm looking for. And then I'll just go into Word and make a, a linear uh, timeline. I'll have the year and I'll put what happened. And then I'll start to slip little bits of fiction into it. You know, uh, building, I guess, the story as I fill in the years. And then I'll have that with me. I always write a very detailed synopsis extremely detailed synopsis. Uh, the one for a gathering of ravens was about a hundred pages long, single spaced. <laughs> so, and I'll have that sitting with me while I write. And I'll, in the synopsis, I'll add little world building questions to myself because the only people that will ever see this synopsis, me, my agent, and my editor. So I, I have asides, I have little bits of dialogue, I have uh, research footnotes, you know, things I need to look for, and just, it's just a rolling document with all the world building that I need, you know, for it, and then I'll add more as I draft, so, but yeah, I'll start with, with any of my books, the first thing I start with is an encyclopedia dedicated to the time period that I'm looking at. So in this case, it was an encyclopedia of Northern mythology and has every single term, every mythological figure. And since it is, uh, you know, nonfiction, it has, you know, lots of really good footnotes for other research. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So, uh, and I've, I've, Probably amassed about two or three hundred books on oh, wow. 
everything from Vikings to Celtic myth to uh, weapons. Uh, and that's just my Northern European section. Then we have the, the ancient Egyptian and the ancient Greek, some ancient Persian. Yeah, it's, that's pretty much the only thing I keep now is research books and everything else I try to read online though. I, I don't like reading online. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's I feel like researching online for that kind of thing. is very difficult for me. Definitely think having the actual. Physical it is. And also the, uh, the whole business with Wikipedia, it's not always accurate. Yeah. So. yeah. But the, the, a well-researched Wikipedia article with sources is a great place to start. Oh yeah. And especially if it has a bibliography and you can go through that bibliography and get, you know, some research for yourself. Some of it's online. So that's even better. So uh, the big thing I have trouble with, since I live in a small Southern town, we don't have J store access. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if I come across a J store article, I have to, you know, get online and go, Hey, can somebody shoot this to me yeah yeah somebody i know will you know copy it and send it to me so so that's what social media is great for yeah amen to that. <laughs> i think you make some really good points though i really considered having a second for that time period that's yeah a really good idea that's how i i learn the best i think is with an encyclopedia yeah, uh, And I know why, because when I was a kid, my mom made us read the encyclopedia. If we didn't have something else to read, we read the encyclopedia for an hour a night. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it kind of it backfired because I loved encyclopedias. So I'm like, yeah. yeah, hit me with all of them. <laughs> but, I always had to use that encyclopedia as research, uh, that those books is step one. So my mom always made sure we use that first <laughs> oh yeah yep and they always kept an updated one so we always had a usually we had compton's or something like that yeah, yeah. Yeah. my dad worked at sears so they got a discount so we always had encyclopedias so <laughs> well i also like how you mentioned there though that you you know you take that historical piece and then fill in and i have never heard somebody say it that way before and I think that's just a really good point that you make is that it's yeah. a totally different idea from what I was thinking. And yeah. I think that actually will help me out a lot more when I try to write a similar type of genre. See, with historical fantasy, you have to remember that you are no different from an art restorer. So you have a, a piece of history that's missing gaps. And as the writer, you want to fill in these gaps with something that you've created. So just like an art restorer, you have to copy the textures, the colors of the things around you to make it look like it fits. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's step one for that. Then you find out everything you can about things like daily life, uh, uh, depending on what time period you're writing in, that can be difficult. Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot of, daily life things for certain time periods oh yeah 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 so then you you find a comparable culture and steal their daily life bits yeah yeah file off the series and stick it in there to make it look normal so 
or like it belongs there. So yeah, but, I think you make a good point. A lot of times on Twitter, I'll say um, for research, I'll say, "Hey, does anybody know a college professor or somebody that specializes in this type of research?" Native American for me is a big one. Um, there were certain, um, you know, like African demigods and you know heroes and yeah. things that I was trying to research specifically for specific reasons and. You know, it was hard to find books on them or, you know, or resources or again, it was just a Wikipedia or a Wikipedia like site and it wasn't quite scholarly. So, yeah, sometimes it's very difficult to find what you need. Well, if you know him, be sure to befriend uh, Logan Whitney. Okay. He's a teacher, but he's also a archaeologist in southwestern uh, okay. history, I guess. Oh, okay. So, uh, Greg Melly is another one. Okay. Uh, he, when he's not doing, I guess, European martial arts, you know, he's, he's researching uh, Mesoamerican oh. because that's his, that's his jam is Mesoamerican yeah. uh, uh, fiction. And he's had some success with it, but yeah, if uh, for Latin, if you ever have a Latin question, hit up James Ng because that's his day job. He teaches oh, okay. Latin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to get a list from you. I know. Well, I just, I, I do the same thing. I go on Twitter and I'll ask a question. Then I remember who's answering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And eventually I'll just, okay, I can trust him. He's actually a professor of this or that. So. It's actually a really good way to find people, though. I think that you just made a good point there, too. Just going and, you know, finding the area of study. Yeah. And research the person and see if, you know. They know what they're talking about, or if mm -hmm. that's a that's something else that I have not considered doing. I think it's smart. Now, most writers I've noticed, if they have a unique day job, are more than happy. Yeah, a lot recommend that they love talking about their day job. So and Fair. yeah, so they will. They they've been Johnny on the spot more times than I can count. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, like I mean, I teach history during the day, so I mean, I. I'll talk your ear off about whatever time period yeah. you want to talk about. So I definitely understand that. <laughs> well, do you have a Do you have a specific time period, or are you just a general history? Uh, I'll be honest. I, um, I'm more ancient history uh, now. I've been teaching middle school, so I've had to learn more American history, and and you know, yeah, it's just not my forte. Yeah, it's nice because I have to learn more. Well, I just I I lose interest after the Renaissance. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> did the same class three times in college just because it was yeah. before the renaissance yeah i once it gets into the industrial i'm like i don't care i'm just there eh. i can get to the three months of there and then after that i want to go back in time again see i like certain era like i like the three musketeers era yeah i don't like getting there and i don't like afterwards no i i, I totally understand <laughs> and uh the tokugawa period is definitely my favorite time period but it's because of what was going on at that time in japan and not necessarily you know the time period itself um, yeah my friend he said he was, you're weird he's like you say you don't like renaissance like after and then you study the tokugawa period I'm like well it's different <laughs> the all asian history just bounces off me i have <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah i'm very european eurocentric because that's where my family is from. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we did the uh, the genealogy. I have absolutely no Native American blood in me whatsoever, despite family stories to the uh, contrary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, and the only person in my, I have a great, great, great grandmother that was born in Brazil, but she's Dutch. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. so she's not native to there at all. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she was born in a Dutch trading colony in, uh, I can't remember the name of the city now, but in Brazil. Yeah. I was like, oh, maybe I got some sort of, no, no native. Nope, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's well, like my friend, um, we were just discussing this the other day, and um, when my uncle went to Scotland, they tracked down our village and plan, and then we're able to see like our, you know, like the pattern of the cloth, and then they were able to make a copy, which they were supposed to do. Um, but they were able to take a picture and then bring it back, and then through that research, they found out that like we had family that had fought for a Scottish king, um, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, so I'm trying to do some research on the side on that, but it's been really difficult with the pandemic. Yeah. My paternal grandmother, her family goes back to the son of Ragnar Lothbrok. Oh, that's really cool. And, <laughs> so uh, I want to name my firstborn son. My wife said no. So. Well, make it the middle name. You could always get what she wants for the first name. And then it's like little Stevie Ragnar. <laughs> Ragnar. Uh, Ragnar, yeah, little Stevie Ragnar. Yeah, my friend said what we call what we call him in person with her is one thing, and then what we call him behind her back is a different thing. So, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, we we decided never to have children. So, so I I, I don't really you know, ooh, what could I name Scott Junior? <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. Yeah, Ragnar would be a cool one though. <laughs> it would. I know. I've heard online of somebody named their child Darth. Yeah, I did hear about Why that. Why would you do that? Why? Yeah. Well, it's like I love Uther of Bedenburg, but I wouldn't name my kid that. No, my wife that. hates that. We, we, we watch the series, and she just tunes out because she doesn't want to know anything about Uhtred, son of Uhtred, son of Uhtred, son of Uhtred. Son of <laughs> well, I, I actually uh, I was, I stopped at first because I was like, oh, I really liked the first book, but then I had already watched the show, so and I just was I was pulled in. But when I had finished the first book, I just thought, man, this added to everything instead of taking away, which I think is there. Yeah, yeah, I'm about to be on the pale horse then, and I I just watched the show whole show again last week. <laughs> oh, it's good. I like. I've read the all the books twice now. I think. Oh man, so. yeah, I'm definitely gonna get to that one. I actually, I think I'm gonna slide it after this because I got Clayton's, I got yours. Gathering a raven, but I'm gonna I think I'm gonna switch gears and go pale horseman. So there it is, right there. I was just talking to a couple of friends of mine. They're like, I need a, this type of book, and I was like, interviewing Scott Oden. I was like, this would be a type of book right there because they're in that realm of fantasy and historical fiction. I'm like, plus, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're sitting next to it, it makes you even manlier. See, yeah, right. <laughs> That's what I told him. <laughs> well, that was a great answer right there, Scott. So we'll try and keep it going here. Sure. I'll put this here for you. All right. So next question. What do you find more important, characters or plot and why? Uh, both are equally important. Uh, if you do not have characters, all you have is a list of events that happen. If you have great characters but no plot, you have basically a Victorian novel. So, See, guys, I was right. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so you have to have both in equal measure. Uh, 
you need a I think for mainly for modern fiction you need an accessible main character now they can be evil they can be the bad guy basically as long as there's something about them that a reader can sympathize with even tiny bit oh yeah uh for whatever reason nowadays we like the villain hero it's, it's yeah and we like to see people like that get redeemed so yeah. that was a uh, great i don't want to spoil anything for that series i thought that they did a great job with that concept yeah i mean he's he has really taken it to heart <laughs> It's come a long way since his start in the, you know, the Marvel. Yeah. But then, I mean, if you have the, the greatest character in the world and you have no plot, then, you know, what is, what's the point? So you got to have, yeah, you got to have something for them to do, not something that happens to them, but something that they are influencing. And they got to be interesting. So it's like, I always use a, uh, uh, the Godfather. Michael Corleone's an interesting character, but you probably wouldn't want to have supper with him. <laughs> and it's the same thing. I mean, you have an interesting character who's trying to, I guess, get into the family business. So, yeah. And everybody loves that sort of thing. So, well, probably not everybody. But. <laughs> I, I think you made a good point. You talked about this one. People are going on like saying one or the other. I'm like, I think it could be both. Otherwise, to me, I if you have one and not the other, I stop reading your book. Yeah. It's a, and I mean, you need even more than that. You got to have the ability to turn a phrase. You have to have some uh, ability to create similes, metaphors, et cetera, that people enjoy. You need a bit of a poetic ear. And you have to be good with dialogue. So, so you have to have all of that in order to, I guess, gather in the readers. So, I think uh, Fletcher had a good uh, uh, talk the other day on their podcast. And I really liked how he put dialogue. And you guys should definitely check it out. He made some really good points. And him and I talked. He's like, I just write a conversation myself as two characters. And I don't know. I just, I think it was two episodes ago. So I think it was either 38 or 39, but it was really good. And he, he had some real insight to it. And he just, again, like you worded some things differently than some people have. And yeah. I think, you know, he did a really great job with that. And I think you're both right about just dialogue being really important. Now he makes it sound easier than it is. He does. <laughs> he really does. You, you, it sounds like you just sit down in your head and you got two people talking to you and they're blah, 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 and you write it down and boom, you're done. But no, it's to get good dialogue is a lot harder than that. So it's uh, because it, like everything that I'm saying, you would have to go through and remove my all my ums, my uh, <laughs> all that out, make it sound natural, but also impart story business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's well, like, uh, uh, like Clayton Snyder, right? Reading uh, River of Thieves. And I'm like looking at his page and I'm like, how do you get such natural dialogue? <laughs> it's very like you and I are talking. Like, I mean, it's crazy. Howard Jones has a, uh, a way of doing it 
where he writes his first draft almost as a script. Oh, okay. And he writes mainly dialogue. He's got a little bit of stage direction. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a few things like uh, insert big battle here. Yeah, yeah. Thing. But it's he mainly gets his dialogue nailed down. Yeah. And then adds everything else to it. So. Somebody else was just saying that the other day. Um, I don't know if it was Rob Hayes or, or Dirk or one of them or their guests. Like well, it couldn't be Dirk because he doesn't actually write his books. That's fair, yeah. I asked him to write mine. He said no. So. <laughs> he yeah, said, when he I thought, He's not a writer. He's an actor. Yeah. So. I told him, I said, you can act like you wrote mine. We'll just put the profits. Like, that worked too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but somebody just mentioned that. It's so funny you said that. Somebody just mentioned that. That's how, you know, they do it. And I thought, it's a really good idea. I started yeah. writing screenplays originally. Not that they were good, but. You know, I wrote in that format. I ever thought harder writing a book that way. So, yeah, I've done a few. I did the original opening for Gathering of Ravens that way. Okay. The dialogue to me was it needed to be on point, mm -hmm. and so that's the only way I knew I'd just come off of writing two screenplays mm -hmm. or two episodes for a potential TV series. Yeah. Never got made. So, but uh, so I I just. I was comfortable at the time with the formula, so I just did the first two chapters as dialogue mm. and then added in the rest of it. So, <laughs> And it was actually an actor. Uh, uh, if you ever watched 24, the yeah. last season, uh, the actor who played Samir. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, his name is Mito Hamada. And he's a friend of mine. We... No. Uh, Chatted. He, a friend of his, the the way we met, a friend of his was the model for the main character on the cover of the Lion of Cairo, the British edition. Oh yeah. Uh, and that guy was in the TV show Nightfall. The oh, one about yeah. the Mars. Yeah, he was the assassin. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, looks completely different because I guess the way they shot him, he was a little bit younger. But Mito saw that book laying on his coffee table, started reading it, sent me a message. So we just chatted back and forth. So he was reading the very first version of, of Gathering of Ravens. And he's the one that made the suggestion, why didn't I change my male priest to something else? Because he looks at it from a, a Hollywood point of view. You got to have good meaty roles for women oh, yeah. that's that's you know people want that people want uh someone that doesn't have to be rescued oh <laughs> so, yeah yeah no, that drives me crazy yeah yeah and it was a brilliant suggestion so i sat there i went back and i changed all the pronouns and all this and i'm like oh my god so i'm like you know thank you thank, I, i'm going to take that under advisement and i'm like for her <laughs> but but yeah he uh he's also i didn't know him at the time but when i wrote lion of cairo he was the uh image i had in my mind of the main character mm. from a role that he had done where he played a the guy that was against osama bin laden before 9 11 uh, uh sheikh mm. So, and i like the way he looks i'm like I couldn't figure out how, what he, my character should look like. So I'm like, he's going to look like that. No. 
And then suddenly I get a message from him like two years later. That's crazy. It was weird. It was so weird. I had ran it with my agent to make sure it wasn't somebody, you know, scamming me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like, nope, that's really him. I'm like, <laughs> so, that's really cool. Well, well, you're just Alba is listening. I uh, formed a character after him. I was going to play him do a book cover for me anytime. If he's listening, I didn't make a character after him, but he can play any one of them he wants. <laughs> I'm not complaining. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to play Grimner. I'm like, eh, hey, psh, you do it. A kid just asked me the other day about the movie, um, you know, Dark Tower. I said, well, Matthew McConaughey and Eardris did a really good job. I said, everybody else needs to figure out what they were doing. But they were like so compelling back and forth. I just, one of my friends says, I don't know who that is. I'm like, you don't know who Eardris Alba is? I was like, do you not watch movies? Like, I just like, I've gotten a lot of from him. So I love his character, like the, how he did Hamdel. I just think that yeah, it was just perfect. And that's how I always picture his mannerisms and stuff. So. Yeah. I want to see him play James Bond. I think that's what I've been saying. Oh, yeah. He's got it down. Like, he's, like, oh, yeah. yeah. He's. That or uh, Alex Cross, like, uh, um, inter, uh, I thought that was, that was the was wanting to do like the TV show or whatever. Um, so I thought they picked another actor for it. But, um, yeah, I, I like that or something, that or something. Like the you know, the audition taste. Yeah, gosh, you just make it. Cool. <laughs> he's already got the cool, he's, he's he's all he just needs to do is show up in a suit mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with a gun. Yeah, oh man. I think that's a great suggestion, writing it dialogue as a screenplay. I've, I've heard if of you it. Have, yeah, if you have trouble with dialogue, if you feel like your dialogue's not up to it, write your dialogue first. So, but then you really find what you got there, I feel like, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, all your dialogue should carry story information yeah. and not be uh, obvious about it. <laughs> and that's that's... To me, that's a pain in the ass to do. I cannot. Uh, that's the hardest part of writing any scene is getting the dialogue right. And I always go back and tinker with it right until the very day I hand in the very last version. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think yeah. I, um, I'm on trying to finish draft two of my book one. And then I have another series. I just want to work on the book one outline and finish and that's what I was struggling with, with, with writing. Because usually I try to write out the characters, thoughts or ideas. It's the two main And it was not happening. I thought, I'm going to go back and just do the, do the dialogue. Yeah. That's why I include dialogue in the synopsis also. Because when I have a, like a really, what I think to be a brilliant piece of dialogue, I'll write it right in there and, you know, they don't seem to mind. It's not even remotely like they teach you that you're supposed to do a synopsis for yeah, publications. Yeah. My agent's like, well, you just wrote a rough draft. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Half the work. <laughs> well, I, the, the first time I did this was for Lion of Cairo. I sent him a, the standard 12-page synopsis. The editor's like, well, you know, we need some more detail. And I'm like, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it ended up being 57 pages long. Wow. And uh, he's like, yeah, okay, that, that yeah, that works. <laughs> and I 
that's what I've done ever since. Yeah. And when I don't do it, I get messed up. Like I didn't do a full one with the Twilight of the Gods and ended up writing two different versions. Okay. Uh, the first version just didn't work. I wrote about 30,000 words. Nothing worked. So I threw it aside, started fresh, uh, got about 30,000 words into that, was having some trouble. So then I just had to backtrack about 15,000 words, chop that out and restart. And finally, and I swore then I was like, I'm going to do it every single time. I'm doing a synopsis. So I call my rule. You say I don't follow my rule, and then it messes me up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't do that now. I it I can't write by the seat of my pants. I just it doesn't work. So I can I do short stories. Yeah, I actually even for the uh, like the Conan short stories for Marvel. I had to write a synopsis for those. Mm. And they were almost as long as the story. <laughs> oh, wow. So oh, That's cool. Yeah. But, I mean, if it keeps me on track and makes it where it doesn't take me a year to write something. No, so. yeah, yeah. I got to tell you, though, I was talking to a buddy of mine. And, um, like, we got to, I got Scott Oden coming back for, you know, number two. Because I don't know that name. That name. Well, do you know Conan? Like, yeah. yeah. Got a hold of me like two days ago. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> which, which for me, again, I Gravity Howard's top three for me of all time. And Conan, I just I love Conan. I just have way too close in comics. But he was just like, that's so cool. I'm like, yep. <laughs> He's the top one for me. Yeah. And then, that's that's pretty much it. I so. don't know who just had this conversation. I don't know who would be a better character than him. Like we just talked about that a couple of friends and I, and they're like, "Oh, Bob, Bob this person." I'm like, "Cody would." Yeah, he'd, he'd pretty much kill everybody. Yeah, and I, I just think that some people look at him as a Superman character and don't understand him. Um, I'm actually doing a whole video just about it. Um, yeah, I just, I don't think people understand he can come in, you know, where he's got a lot of classes and there's yeah. so many parts to him. And also remember from a certain point of view, he is somebody's villain. That too. So, yeah. yeah. That too, yeah. And, uh, cause you know, he didn't pull his punches. He was a, a rather bloodthirsty pirate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he sacked cities. So, yeah. so from somebody's point of view, he's the bad guy. So, yeah, yeah. But we still love him. <laughs> That's what my friend. I was talking. I was like, I don't like people like Loki. He goes, you love Conan. I'm like, touche. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know why we just tend to gravitate toward the person that would tear down everything that you know yeah. that you've built. And just take a whiz on it yeah. while it's burning. So, yeah. but uh, I, you know, he's fascinating. I, I've read him now since I was ten years old. Yeah, I'm fifty four now. So, and uh, so yeah, that's that's the one character that stuck with me throughout my entire life. Him and Bilbo Baggins. I yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I know, read but Conan two years before reading The Hobbit. I read about, I read about the same time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
uh, I stole a copy of uh, one of the Ace paperbacks with the Frazetta covers. Stole that from my older brother. Started reading that. Like a month later, my librarian at school gives me a copy of The Hobbit. And pretty much I'm ruined from then on. I, I agree. Yeah. And then that summer, I get my first co uh, copy of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm done. Yeah. Just let me live in a basement with my mom forever. <laughs> I think I had Conan comics. I was 11. And then I can't remember what. Oh, and then I read the. Oh, I love uh, T.A. Barron, the Seven Songs of Merlin, and that series. Uh, so it's Merlin. They're so good. They're so good. They're young adult, but they are like, you'll fly through them. They're, they're amazing. And he takes that character and I call it Conan's him, just turns him into this just amazing character. Yeah. I, I love him. And then the next year I got the um, Knight's Word. And I'm totally blanking on who the author was, but I just grabbed my copy uh, recently. I read that one in seventh grade, and then I was reading more Conan. And then, yeah, they handed me The Hobbit, and then I was done. <laughs> like, I went from, boom, boom, boom. went from Lord of the Rings to Harold Lamb's biographies. Oh, okay. Uh, Alexander the Great. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so um, I'm, my librarian was like my drug dealer. So, little old lady. Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Come here," and you know, she'd like slip me another book, <laughs> and it'd be stuff that I know that the county probably did not approve of. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like, we're at a Catholic school, so <laughs> we rolled that line, you know, like. <laughs> Mine was just a public school in the deep south. <laughs> so. Yeah. But she, yeah, she, she kept me in books, and uh, I think I can't really remember. But my mom used to volunteer at the the school. And I think my mom told her about us having to read an hour every night. So if I didn't hit the library, you know, I'm reading the encyclopedia or the dictionary. So every day I'd come by the library if I, you know, see if there's a book I needed, and she's like, "Here, try this one." You know, several of them didn't work. I did. I bounced right off of uh, uh, Madeline Lingle. Oh yeah. Uh, couldn't even get into that. Uh, There's a couple others that just didn't do anything for me. And then you know she struck gold with the Hobbit. So, and after that, I bought my own copy and I had it tucked in and carried it wherever I went. So. so. I think I, my buddy and I shared it all eighth grade, like back or forth. The library yeah. back and forth, <laughs> and then that's when the movies, the Lord of the Rings movies, came out. So went to the fellowship eight or nine. Oh man, I, I was way into adulthood when those came out. Oh, uh, I think I, I think it was either eighth or about in the freshman year. I can't remember, but man, we spent a lot of the money I was saving up for college and stuff. Like we went, we went, we went way too many times. <laughs> I, I keep forgetting y'all are really young. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm only 34, <laughs> so. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. That's I think when I was 30, 34, I was managing a Blockbuster video. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> I miss Blockbuster. Oh, that was the best job. That was the best job I've ever. Age right there. Yes. 
Grabbing movies, video games, and pizza right next door to each other. Right? Yeah, and everybody come in and want to talk about movies, and you're having chats with everyone. And yeah, Nintendo 64 just came out. So. We had one hooked up, and you know yeah. we weren't supposed to, but we had it hooked up and hidden inside the kids' TV. So once we closed, we'd pull that thing out, and we'd Mario Kart until midnight. So. Uh, they have tournaments at the one in my town, the Mario Kart tournaments. It was awesome. Yeah, we had those. Yeah, we didn't so like kids, so we just liked to play by ourselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, I think I was the third or fourth oldest person there. Everybody else was a teenager. <laughs> I think my manager was older than me. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, yeah, it was great. So yeah, people just don't understand those. You don't understand Blockbuster unless you've been in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, we still had them when I was in college. I mean, the last one, I, think I was probably, I think I had just moved actually to Arizona. So it was, it was about seven, what, eight years ago? Yeah. So, it was so sad. Like, I left, it was there. I came back from Arizona for just like, you know, Christmas break and it was gone. And it, it was like someone took my childhood friend, you know. And, yep. And I think there's one left in the world. Yep, yep. Yep. Which actually, that's actually where I used to get my copy of. Uh, uh, both, you know, Coney and the Barbarian and Coney and the Destroyer, because um, it took me a while to track down a good DVD copy with the, uh, the director's cuts and stuff like that. But yeah, that's where I used to go. I used to go and probably once a month, I do both and do a marathon with my buddy. Yep. All that cheesy uh, 80s sword and sorcery. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Dragon love Slayer. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love uh, Beastmaster too. Like my grandfather ruined me by all these. All these fantasies. <laughs> and sci-fi. Uh, Oxus Slayer. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He he loved his uh, Battlestar Galactica. Um, oh, yeah. Buck Rogers. We'd watch that. Um, yeah, just any – he loved it. I, I thought it was funny because I was talking to my dad about this, and I said, you know, it's no wonder between the two of you. I said, I, I love fantasy and sci-fi, you know, and they had um, a lot of historical movies, you know, and stuff like that, yeah. war and stuff, so – I was like, between historical fiction and fantasy and sci-fi, I was like, I was raised really well with, you know, those genres in terms of movies. I have no earthly idea how I wound up the way I did. <laughs> My oldest brother is 15 years older than me. Uh, nobody else in my family read very much. My parents didn't read. Uh, they liked, like, 1950s TV shows. Mm. I... I'm, I don't know. I think that found me in a field or something. <laughs> I was just talking about that with my kids at school. My my mom and dad both read a lot, so we used to go to the library and make a huge deal of it. So yeah, they made it fun. So well, that was weird. My mom never read, but she would make sure that if we needed something to read, she would run us to the library in town, or you know, even run us to the bookstore. You know, I'd mow the grass. To earn money to buy D and D stuff. Yeah, yeah. She'd complain. I said, "Well, you know, it could be drugs." And she's like, "Here, have a 20 <laughs> yeah. Go get some more. I used to get A's, and my mom be like, "You can go buy a book today." I'm like, yeah. <laughs> "The Scholastic Book Fair." Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Twenty bucks there. Twenty bucks you in there, like. <laughs> You're getting like twenty books for twenty bucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh. We're just talking about that. We're trying to do a drive for. You know, for the elementary kids, because now it's like that stuff's expensive. Yeah, 
Yeah. Want to make sure every kid gets a book, you know, like that, that feeling of, you know, especially socioeconomically, you know, it's like, like that, that ceiling, we just feel like, you know, we need to push kids through it. So we were just talking about how to do that. I think our fair just got rescheduled because of COVID. Which I'm okay with, cause we want some time to, you know, prep and do some donations and stuff. But I, mean, I remember going in there and I had to work for it, but felt so good. Oh yeah. Day. <laughs> I still have several of the ones I bought. I do too. <laughs> I probably have like ten or twenty. I just just found yeah. them. I actually put five of them in my classroom, and I yeah. told the kids they have a special shelf, so they know that if you're reading, it's got to be read in class. You can't take it with you. No offense to anybody. Um, but yeah, they've been really good about it. So yeah, it's, okay. it's cool to see those, you know, pass on to a new generation. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, it kind of leads me in um, talking about Blockbuster and Conan um, goes into this next question. I just got to know, how did it feel writing such an iconic character as Conan? Just got to feel like. It was a bucket list moment. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. That was. When I started writing, I wanted to write a Conan novel. I had never sold a short story, never, never barely finished a short story. But I thought I could write myself a 90,000 word novel. Should be easy. <laughs> so it took me about 40 years. <laughs> so, you know, I sat down, I, I decided I'm going to write this novel. I'm going to sell it to tour books and they're going to be overjoyed. And by the time I get three chapters, Tor Books is no longer publishing Conan. And I'm like, what do I do with it? A friend of mine who had just sold his novel for like $3 million, something like that, comes into Blockbuster where I'm working. And I'm like, I got these three chapters. They're supposed to go to Tor. Tor doesn't do this. What should I do? He's like, just change the names. I'm like, I can do that? <laughs> So I, I changed the names, changed the setting, and it's my first novel, Men of Bronze. Started out as a Conan novel. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I had to change, you know, change a few things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then uh, for years online, I've been like pestering the people who control <laughs> Conan. Yeah. So, you know, I would love to write something for you. I'd love to, but the the problem with that is everybody does that to them everybody's like oh i need to do this i need so my plot was to get a bunch of really good reviews that you cannot not look at so you know got a starred review for my first novel from publishers weekly stick that aside i got starred reviews from booklist from other places stick that into the bank and one of the editors of the del rey conans reads my books and likes them he mentions it to and this is rusty burke if you've ever seen him online gentleman uh, just excellent man i've heard that. And, yeah very very tall <laughs> <laughs> so he uh he says to the the man that controls it now frederick that you know he would make you know a decent story he could write a decent story so it comes up with uh Marvel reacquires the, the license for Conan. 
and they want to do novellas in the back. So I get a, a Twitter message one day from Frederick, the guy that owns the, the, the IP, asking if I'd ever thought about writing a Conan story. And I'm like, have I? <laughs> Let me tell you. And I'm like replying. And he's like, well, send us a, a synopsis and we'll see. So I sent it to him through my agent. And lo and behold, they're like, yeah, you can here write a Conan novella. It'll be serialized in Savage Sword of Conan. The only comic book I ever read as a child was Savage Sword of Conan. Yeah. And so it's going to be serialized in, in the first 12 issues. And I was like, so, and I sat down with all of, I mean, I got a metric shitload of Conan stuff, sat down with all of it, figured out where I wanted to write the story, treated it just like a historical story. And because that's what Howard did. Yeah, yeah. And wrote the story, sent it into him. They're like, this is awesome. And there it went. That was that was it. Suddenly I get a another Twitter message and it's a just a picture. He had taken a picture of the uh, draft copy that Marvel had sent him and said, Oh, hey, how does this feel? I'm like <gasps> So yeah, it was it's one of those moments that's almost like, you know, getting married, you know, a really good marriage writing Conan. <laughs> They're right there. So it was so awesome. <laughs> and then they let me write another short story. So oh, that's cool. I know. I was like, and they're like, well, you know, Funcom is doing a, uh, a video game and they want a story for their downloadable content. I'm like, I can do this. <laughs> they wanted 5,000 words. I gave them 9,000 words for the price of 5,000. So <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we, we'll put that in there. We don't mind. I'm like, and yeah, it was awesome. After I finish the third Grimner book, I'll actually be writing a Hyborian Age novel. Not Conan, but it's going to be in the Conan universe. Well, I like those other ones that were kind of like the smaller young adult ones from the early... I read all those. And the one that had Conan in it as the king, um, you know, and it was like his guard. Was, those are probably some of the... Those, those were some of the best novels i've ever read were just they had different people and they you know took the world and it came up with so many great characters well now the uh the license for that is held by titan books oh, yeah. and yeah they have their own stable of writers but i had been contracted for this before they uh bought the license yeah, yeah. so they're still like yeah you know we'll go ahead write it send it to us if it fits our plan well yeah we'll take it <laughs> Yeah. But hopefully it will let me write a honest to God Conan novel. That'd be cool. Because you know, even though he he had never meant to, John Hawking has actually thrown down the gauntlet. He's written what they consider the best pastiche Conan novel, mm. Conan and the Emerald Lotus. I don't have that one. You you need to. It's hard to find. It's because it's the very last one they ever made from Tor Books. And everybody's like, "This is the this is great. This is the best one." And I'm like, 
wait a minute. I haven't written mine yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me, give me a second. Yeah, so hold, hold my beer. Yeah, <laughs> hold my mead. Let me. Yeah. <laughs> once I, I get the the nod for that, I'm like, okay, you know, time to to you know put up or shut up. Yeah, yeah. I think you just redid my whole career for me there because if Titan owns the rights, I need to get you know hired or get to writing for Titan so that. In order, in order to do any of the media type tie-ins, uh, write original books that people love. Uh, I've gotten invitations to write for Black Library, for write all this other stuff, but you know, I I, I enjoy reading Warhammer 40k. I don't think I would enjoy writing it because they have a really really tight schedule. Yeah. You know, you got three months to write a book, complete wow. start to finish. I'm like, I have not worked up to that yet. Yeah. Uh, third Grimner book will be the fastest book I've ever written. I'll be done by the end of the year, and it'll be nine months from when I started it in April to the end of December. And then the first quarter of 2022, I'll be writing the Hyborian Age book. And after that, I, I don't know what I'll do. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully Conan. Yeah, well, you got a pre-order done right now, so you just hey, let me know you, and you send it to me, and it'll be the first one. So that's like right. my favorite setting. My friend asked today, goes, "Who's one character you want to write?" And I like kind of, yeah, I think you could tell through the phone. I'm like, yeah, you know, he goes, "Well, he goes, never mind." He goes, "I know it's Conan." I'm like, "Yeah," I'm like, "There's, there's a lot of characters I love, but." There's not a character I love more than Conan. So like they tell me like they don't even put him like like I'm not trying to be rude to anybody, but like um you know like I love R.A. Salvatore, I love Dritzt, I love Dritzt. Uh he's definitely my second. I just when people ask me, they just know that you know Conan's in his own league. Like I don't even talk about him anymore because <laughs> see all of those other characters could not have existed without Conan. And I, I totally agree. Yeah. He is the he is the reason you have Dritzt. He's yeah. the reason you have Wheel of Time. Yep. He's the reason you have Game of Thrones. Uh, Malazan would not exist without Conan. So that is the... the. You have Tolkien for one side of it, yep. and you have Howard for the other. And without either one, you don't have fantasy like it is today. Oh, yeah. So. I have to tell you, one of the coolest things I saw in Dark Horse uh, comics... Um, in those early 2000 runs um and i saw the rights was with the back of one and it was a friend of robert e howard's and he had talked in um one of the newspaper articles that had talked about robert e. howard when he passed away and they wrote it into a little you know a little clip uh yeah. of panels and it was so cool i mean i still have the comic at my parents house and it talked about how people would watch Robert E. Howard and he'd be sitting there looking out, you know, at like the fields and stuff. And they would say that it was almost like Conan was talking to him mm -hmm. and then he would go and write and yeah. they would, you know, see these writing sessions. And to me, that was always the coolest thing. Was they even said like, Oh, it's like Conan's his friend and is sharing an adventure today. Cause they're not in order, but that's how friends share stories. And yeah. it was one of the coolest, like to me, that was one of the coolest writing concepts ever and that was like i think i read that when i was like 13. Um, yeah. and it just solidified not just conan but robert e howard yeah 
Well, the truth of that is a whole lot more complex uh, because the early Conan stories were rewrites of a stories that didn't sell. So, so unless Conan was like, hey, dude, you spelled my name wrong. My name is not Call. It's Conan. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a... In his letters, Howard was prone to blustering a lot. You can see it a lot with his letters to his friends. Oh, yeah. They didn't have, you know, the phone trees like we have. Yeah, yeah. They letters to each other. And they're all blustering back and forth. And you can kind of see it in some of his other letters. But then when you get to Lovecraft letters, he goes full scholar. <laughs> and starts, you know, just unloading the history of the Picts, the history of the Celts. Huh. And you're, you got to think to yourself, this is... Depression era Texas. Yeah, yeah. Where the yeah. hell did he find that that information? So, but they've done a lot of recreations of what his library must have been. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, there is a website. I think it's called uh, Robert E. Howard Bookshelf. Okay. And it lists every book that he mentions in his letters. Oh wow! That he had read, and Not there's a bunch of. Oh my gosh! There's a he read a lot and a very broad spectrum of reading. So, and you know, there's somewhere in all of that is where he found Conan. So, and you know, I don't quite subscribe to the, uh, you know, he's a bunch of oil roughnecks, things like that, that he had seen. I don't quite subscribe to that. Cause that sounds like some of the buster. Yeah. yeah. You know, sure. There was some of it. Because, you know, he probably went with his dad to patch these guys up. Yeah, yeah. You know, because dad was a doctor, county doctor. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, so, yeah, he, he, it comes from a bunch of different places. But whatever he, whatever magic he saw, you know, God bless him. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have a job without him. So. I definitely wouldn't be interested in this genre without him. I was total sci-fi until I discovered Conan. So I've been very thankful for Robert E. Howard. See, I never liked sci-fi. I, I was talking about Dune the other day on social on Facebook. It's like I've read it, part of it, and it was okay. You know, I want to see the movie because it seems like a spectacle. And I like a good spectacle. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not like, you know, you know Dune. I'm not a Dune fanboy. Oh, I am. And, I'm ready to go. Oh, I can't even think of any science fiction that just does the same thing for me that fantasy does. Mm, maybe, yeah, maybe some William Gibson. Maybe. I like early William Gibson. Uh, some of the Warhammer 40K books are okay, especially Dan Abnett. Dan Abnett's a fine writer. Uh, Graham McNeil. He's, well, any of his books will be good. Uh, but beyond that, I cannot think of a single science fiction book that I've read that just stuck with me. Mm. So. See, like I'm thinking, um, I'm going to totally blank on the author. Um, I read, like I loved Star Wars growing up and I, Jedi, I'm totally blanking on the author. That had to be one of the best overall books I've ever read in my life. Yeah. The character, Coran Horn, was just done so well. So well. Um, 
the story was amazing. The character development was superb. It was so much fun. Um, but yeah, I, I struggle with it now because I think I like Forgotten Realms so much because it was the fantasy side of Star Wars. And then yeah. I got out from there, but haven't I've tried, haven't branched out as much successfully with sci-fi. Um, you know, people have given me great people. I just, just think I still want it to be something that it's not anymore. Yeah. And it's, it's a totally different case now, I feel like. Now, have you read much uh, historical fiction? Um, I used to a lot. I'm getting back to it. Like, I'm getting back to Bernard Cornwell. Um, I have yours on my list. Um, I have Miles, obviously. Um, and there was a couple people that... Um, Oh, totally blanking now, but a couple of people, a couple of people to check out. So I actually have quite a list. I was reading the, um, oh, what is it? The, the Oathbreakers. Um, I read the first one. That was really good. Um, now, if you haven't read it yet, ditch everything else, run to the library, and pick up a copy of Stephen Pressfield's Gates of Fire. Okay. That is the hands down. The absolute best book I've ever read. Really? In okay. The best book. Wow. It's what 300 the movie should have been. Ah, uh, okay. So it's a uh, it, it's about Thermopylae. Oh, cool! I love from, it. From the view of one of the Spartan helots. Oh, that's cool. And it's it is the the best book. It has some of the best battle scenes. Uh just the characters everything about it is it's like pitch perfect mm -hmm. it is such a good book they it's mandatory reading at the u.s marine corps officers school oh, wow so they got some good ones on their list too they do and that's yeah that is probably one. everybody talks about grim dark you know violence and all that no read gates of fire you will see what violence really is yeah hmm. and check that out it, Drop every other book and read that. So it is. It's it's the best one. And see, that's where I was trying to explain to a friend of mine. He's like, "Well, you like writing fantasy and urban fantasy. It's like, why are you reading historical fiction?" And I'm like, "You need to go read this book I just read." I was like, "It was so good." <laughs> and like the last, you know, I just I like historical fiction. I I'm a history teacher. I mean, and how you guys write historical fiction is very much how i like my urban fantasy or just, yeah. just what i call like, I call like, like mythological fantasy, you know or yeah, I mean, ancient and ancient and medieval historical fiction there is no difference between that and most fantasy that no totally true i mean you Maybe throw some magic in, yeah supernatural. Well, you throw some mythology and magic into the ancient world and you have sword and sorcery yeah totally and same thing with the Middle Ages. You throw some some realistic-seeming magic, and there is no difference. It is the same thing. So yeah, It just has a better pedigree because it's gone to college. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally true. So. Right. Well, I'm going to have to check that out. I've, uh, I'm going to the library, actually, Saturday with a buddy of mine, so definitely have to check that one out. That book, kick everything off your TBR pile and read that book. Okay. All right. You will not be disappointed. I yeah. guarantee. So. Well, now you got me really excited to go to the library. 
<laughs> My work here is done. They're, uh, they have a good fantasy and sci-fi section. Their historical fiction is definitely a lot better. So that was already going for something there anyway. So that's actually, that actually works out perfectly. <laughs> Ours is okay. I mean, it's small town, Alabama library. Better than some. It could be better with some of their research. They have extremely outdated Cambridge ancient history, mm. the, which that's where I did most of my original research for Men of Bronze. Go to the library, photocopy pages from the Cambridge ancient, ancient history and sit down and do the same thing I was talking about with that. So, yeah. But it was too expensive to buy because I think a full set is $1,500. That's crazy. Even yeah. the that I saw the other day was like 500 bucks. I was just like, yeah, never mind. I'll just go to the library. <laughs> yeah. I think now they're on like either the 46th edition or something like that. Yeah. I think my library has 31st edition. <laughs> Well, I'm going to send this question to you because now you got me really interested in your answers tonight, especially with some of the things we talked about in our first interview. We kind of talked about this a little, but what advice would you give authors who are struggling to finish their first or second draft of their first novel? The best advice is to power through whatever problem you seem to perceive you're having and simply finish it. That is 99% of anything. You can't edit an empty document. You know, as long as you have it down on the page, you can make it better. So do everything you can. Don't, there, there's a lots of, of ways that you're going to sabotage yourself. There's lots of ways you're going to, uh, allow procrastination to keep you from doing it. And you're going to call it everything but procrastination. You're going to call it research. You're going to call it waiting for the muse to strike. You know, all of this stuff you're going to embrace because it feels right. It feels like if it's not flowing naturally, I shouldn't do it. That's bullshit. <laughs> Sit down every day at the same time if you can for an hour, do four or 500 words every single day. The more you show up to work, ready to work, the more the muse will come by and visit. Uh, the butt in the chair is the most important part right now. So the best advice I can give, finish what you start, even if it's a short story, don't read the exact same thing that you're writing because you will sublimate all of the, the current trends, which are not going to be a trend by the time you're finished. It'll be a trope and nobody will like it. So sit down, finish what you start, throw out all of the how to write books. All of them are BS. Chuck them out the window. The only book you need is Strunk and White's Elements of Style. If you have trouble with grammar, if you have trouble with usage, that's it. That's all you need. And you don't even need that now with the internet. But turn off the internet. <laughs> it is a great distractor. 
unplug your phone. Make one hour that you choose, but whether it's in the morning or in the evening, make that as sacred as an hour at church. Tell your family that the only way that you're going to interrupt me is if one of you are on fire. And then if you can't stop, drop and roll, come and get me. And people always laugh. They think I'm joking. No, I'm not joking. Yeah, yeah. Everybody will try to derail you somehow. Your own mind will try because it wants to protect you from being told no. Don't let it. Just get it done. Get your, your first draft done and then start working on it as a second draft. Get your second draft done. Start shopping it with uh, fellow writers. You don't need to hire an editor if you're planning on being traditionally published. Uh, and you don't even for self-publishing, hiring an editor comes later. Right now, you just need a bunch of writers who are willing to read it and give you honest feedback. That's the hardest part is getting honest feedback because there is nothing worse than a pack of writers. So finish your draft, show up every day, shut the world out and just get it done. So that's it. It's took me 44 years to learn that. <laughs> well, that day, our first interview and I was talking to Mike after. And I was basically like, Mike, please tell me I can go work on this other idea. He goes, shut up, sit down, and finish your first draft. <laughs> finish this You're draft. always going to have new ideas popping up. So okay. get, you, get you a little notebook. Just like <laughs> when an idea pops up, you write it down. I carry this around with me. I have thousands of ideas. If that idea is still bugging me when I'm free to write it, then it's a good idea. If it's not, it'll get folded into something else. But don't let it derail. It wants to derail you. It wants to distract you because you're getting close to doing something good. Your mind, and actually, if, you, if you're going to the library, Stephen Pressfield has the only other writing book that anybody needs. It's called The War of Art. And it is all about, and it, it covers everything from business to uh, sports to all of the different artistic endeavors. It has one same basic thing. When you start to do something right, your mind will distract you. It will tell you, no, you're not doing it right. You need to stop and work on this. You need to do this. You need to do this. No, you need to sit and finish what you're working on. Because, and, you know, it's been said thousands of times, you cannot do anything with half a document. Yeah. You can't sell three quarters of a short story. So, and if, if your intent is to sell things for readers, you have to be finished. You know, you can work on everything else later. So, but do that. That, I think that's great advice. And be here and don't work on your story. <laughs> Stop watching this podcast. Get out of here. <laughs> Podcasting, I mean, you know, I enjoy podcasts. It is a very elaborate form of procrastination. Oh, it totally You're is. You're procrastinating from working on your book. I am procrastinating from working on mine. You know. <laughs> <laughs>
And my, my friend called me out earlier today. He's like, so you're just talking to people? I'm like, no, I'm working. <laughs> you're like, just you chatting. To writers. <laughs> you're hoping one of us will give you the secret. I, I feel like I gave up on that. There is no secret. There's yeah. I was right there is no absolutely no secret to writing. There's no secret list you have to be on. There's no friends you have to know. Nothing. All you have to do is get finished. Yeah. If you get it finished, you're ahead of ninety eight percent of the people who will ever write a book. Oh yeah. And I was thinking about it earlier, I was like, this is my version of like uh, writer therapy. Yeah. Everybody talks about having the same problems as me, so it makes me feel better, so then I can go and edit or write. <laughs> if you really want to feel good about your writing, volunteer to read a slush pile. Mm. I did that for about nine months uh, before my first book came out. I felt so much better about myself. <laughs> I know it's horrible to say, but oh my God, the crap they get. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was horrible. You'll get stuff that's not finished. Uh, the worst thing I got was a woman sent nude photos of herself with an idea of a book that said I could write it for her and we could split the money. I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when it was only uh, paper, when it, in, before electronic mail, they would get stuff written on crayon, crayon on construction oh, all kinds of weird stuff and you get the weirdest yeah. so you can see after you read a slush pile for a month you can see where you stand yeah yeah you stand a whole lot better than what you used to think you did it uh, I, I i when i quit i passed it on to another writer he's like oh it can't be that bad two weeks later he's like i see what you mean <laughs> I'm like, and this was a small agent yeah. Small agent that didn't get much mail. And the crap that we got was just mind-boggling. It's like, why are you sending this in? Do you think, <laughs> did your mom tell you this was a good story? Yeah, yeah. It's not even in English. <laughs> I mean, it's in English, but yeah, it's not yeah. the grammatical version I recognize. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it just... People are, they're like, okay, I'm going to write a nine book series. Very first thing you do before you st sit down to write a series, write one book. Yeah. Make that one book self-contained because unless you're planning on just self-publishing the whole way, if that is not a self-contained story, no publisher is going to touch it. Yeah. Unless it's the second coming of Patrick Rothfuss. Yeah. Uh, so write a self-contained story that has series potential. Most modern publishers buy two books from a writer. They don't buy the whole trilogy. They buy two books. If those two books don't sell, your trilogy is never going to get finished unless you publish it yourself. Yeah. So, you know, write a, a series potential standalone. And just... I know everybody wants to write Malazan. Everybody wants to write Game of Thrones. George R. R. Martin was 25 years into his career when he wrote yeah. Game of Thrones. He could do that. Yeah. And Malazan, I, it was, you know, you get one of those every 50 years. Yeah, yeah. You know, as far as I know, that was the first thing he wrote. 
and it was phenomenal. It, yeah. But, you know, no, we all can't be Steve Erickson. Yeah. So, not a lot right? of the moon out there. So. No, no. I mean, you, you become an anthropologist, and then you turn all of that into writing. And his God mind, him. man, like it is. He is a lovely man. I'm friends with him under his real name. He's great. He produces these essays like every month that are just you know deep and in depth. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. And I, I probably got on his shit list a few times because <laughs> I like to make jokes about you know, you know, you know. Do Do you need something for your hair? Have you tried Malazan? <laughs> so because that's everybody does it everybody if you want a book that has you know a version of jesus christ oh have you read malazan <laughs> it's like it's not the cure-all for everything but instead of trying to do what he did write one book a single fantasy book if you can do that then you can do a series but first you got to write the first one yeah, yeah. Daniel. <laughs> Working on draft two right now. <laughs> Chapter two. Oh, well, well, you're almost to the, the first three that you need to send to agents. Oh, well, I, I, I'm, I'm on draft two right now. So. Oh, draft two. Which yeah. is a chapter two. No, I, I've never Only 20 more to go. <laughs> I've never. I've had to learn. That's what I was talking to Mike, too. I've had to learn all these skills that I never had before. I never finished any. My goal last year was to finish a draft. I did. Now I have to take notes, figure out what to do, what to do right the second draft. Now, have you have you shown your first draft to anybody? Uh, no, I plan on um, hearing draft two. Draft one was just all over the place, point of view, yeah, character, you know, stuff like that. I was sleeping things. I didn't have enough planning, which is good to know. Which is why I want to plan my next travel because it's going to go a lot smoother and be easier. But what I'm going to do is restructure draft two. I've already cut two characters, form two new ones, fix the outline just a little as I've gone. So that way, by the end, I'm trying to save myself work later by doing a little bit more now. I don't want to just start out over because um, I know that that's 65% of it I'll keep until uh, people tell me they don't like it. <laughs> well, I hate to break this to you, but it never actually gets any easier. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why I've been struggling. <laughs> it, it doesn't. The second book actually feels worse than the first one because the first book sets expectations. Yeah. yeah. And you're sitting there absorbing all these expectations. And you're like, what if my second book sucks? <laughs> It is called the sophomore book syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been hearing a lot of it lately. Yep. It's a real thing. Uh, according to, I think the writer was Joan Didion, every single book that she's ever written is like pulling teeth. Mm. Now, she is not some chump of a writer. No, no. <laughs> so, you know, be prepared for this to hurt <laughs> with every single... I guess more I'm just thinking, I'm just hoping, I'm just hoping I can get just a little smarter because I was just kind of like, what was I doing? <laughs> I mean, it's only four, the first four chapters where there's two chapters where I first point of view, but um, other than that, though, it's not as bad as I thought, but um, definitely, definitely need to do more, uh, you know, uh, 
telling more than showing, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, just basic stuff. You can tell it's my first mm -hmm. So first draft or stuff. Yep. We'll get it finished. But I Show it. Like, you did write it. Hey. Now I got to rewrite it. Yep. <laughs> writing is rewriting, so get on the rewriting. I'm about 25 pages into 99. Uh, I got to go do another 10 here in just a minute, like at least tonight. Um, yeah, so I try to finish pretty quickly, but yeah, yeah I, just, I did so I made so many mistakes. I was just like, oh, why did I do this to myself? And now I can't stop because I'm addicted. Yeah. Which is good. <laughs> it, it's a good feeling to be addicted to, to writing. Yeah. But you're going to have days where you can't get your fix and it's going to really hurt. <laughs> then you're going to have days where you're like, you know, I am a god of the English language. You know, look at these sentences. They are perfect. <laughs> and then the next day you're like, what is that shit that I just wrote? <laughs> That's where I was early this morning. So I had to take a break and then <laughs> come back to it later today. That's pretty much every other day for me. I have written. I'm on my sixth book and I still don't think I can write. <laughs> I'm convinced that they're going to come and find me and take away my writer card because they are con they've they've seen through my sham. <laughs> well, I've been told by three people recently that when I was telling them that we were going to do our second interview, that uh, Gathering of Ravens was brilliant. So I highly doubt that someone take your card. So I think you're okay. <laughs> I don't know. I got it hidden from them just in case. So. <laughs> Uh, this last one here, and you kind of already talked a little bit about it. Um, I'm curious uh, what authors or books you would recommend. You've already had a couple that I'm really interested in checking out. I'm, I'm actually making a list too, uh, for the website here um, the next couple of weeks. But I'm just curious, like, right off the bat, what other authors or writers would you recommend you really need to pick up a book? My number one recommendation nowadays is Howard Andrew Jones. Uh, he has a a finished trilogy that's out now from St. Martin's. Uh, Ring the Ringsworn trilogy, I think is the name of it. Howard is a he's one of the most solid writers I know. I mean, the man never writes a bad word, and he's gonna if he hears this, he's gonna be oh no, I write lots of bad words. I'm like no, not really. You don't. Uh, let's see who. Clayton Snyder, but you already have him, I'm sure. Yep, yep. Uh, reading him and uh, uh, that Fletcher dude. Yeah. Uh, I got to get into that. I got to buy that novel still. I keep forgetting. I got, I got that when I won it online, and I'm sitting there looking at it. I'm like, I'm going to read this. It's dark. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to read it in small chunks because I'm already a depressive person. I don't need any help. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've actually been rereading. I had to take a break from writing Grimner 3 to write a synopsis for this upcoming book after I'm finished. So I've been rereading Hour of the Dragon by Robert E. Howard. Ooh. Because I'm borrowing his structure. Because that's like the perfect sword and sorcery novel. You cannot improve on that. That's it, it's I do not have that one. Oh, it's free online. Go to Gutenberg. Uh, yeah, just Hour of the Dragon. It's 70-something thousand words. The only novel of Conan he ever wrote. Uh, it was serialized in uh, Weird Tales when he couldn't. 
it was meant for a British player that went under before they mm. publish it. Uh, it's it's great. It's the quintessential sword and sorcery novel. Hmm. So I'm I'm kind of borrowing elements of it. That's <laughs> all know, anybody does. Mine, I'm gonna not, Yeah, I, I figure I can't do any wrong if I'm you know copying his pacing. Yeah, yeah. You know, chapters, but I'm going to borrow his pacing and his chapter style. So, like, and then never read a book before, then you wouldn't be pulling from what you know. But if you, yeah, everybody's read, everybody's read something. Yeah. So. Plus, if you've never read a book before, you're probably not going to be a Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think we're all okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything has been done. It just it matters how you do it. So yeah, yeah. There's nothing new yeah. under the sun, so don't worry about that. Yeah. But it, yeah. you and I could both write the exact same novel, and it's going to be different. So, because we have different styles, we have different things we look at. You have a different poetic ear than I have. It's they're not going to read exactly the same. So, yeah. That's actually and, an episode that I do. We're going to take a question from another author, and then. Well, I'll probably just do it, honestly. Um, but I'm going to give two authors the same characters and have them go for and setting and have them go from there. Yeah. And come back and tell us what they have. And then we'll read the, you know, the different. Um, oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, right? I think it'll be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Of course, I've, I've suggested Gates of Fire. Yeah. Absolute yeah. best book I've ever read. Uh Tim Willock's The Religion. Mm. If you like David Gentle's Legend, <laughs> you need to read Tim Willock's The Religion. Okay. okay. It's not about religion. The religion is what they used to call the Knights of Malta. Oh, that's cool. It was called The Religion. This is about the Siege of Malta, the Ottoman Siege oh. of Malta. Oh, my gosh. It's bloody. <laughs> it's so bloody. I've read it two or three times, but it is... One of the best siege books that you'll you'll find. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, I know. There's a asking about that. So. Yeah, that and David Ball's Iron Fire. Mm. It, it's the same thing. It's like we just talked about. They are both about the siege of Malta, oh, okay. but they're different. You know, uh, Iron Fire is more of a character study. Mm. Uh, different people that took part in the siege. Okay. Some of them are historical. Some of them are fictional. Uh, the religion is what would happen if Robert E. Howard got a hold of the Siege of Malta. <laughs> and Tim Willocks is a medical doctor in England, but he's a big uh, Howard fan. So his you can see elements of Conan in his main character. He's a Saxon who used to be a Janissary. He was kidnapped at a young age, trained as a Ottoman soldier, and then retired. And now he's a, a merchant. But he's also six and a half feet tall and can kill an entire village. So, <laughs> it's good. Yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so, and that's that's about the what I've been reading lately. Uh Trying to look around and see if I got anything. Oh, I was gonna say those are great suggestions. This is always a good one. I know that you guy. can read this. Yes, it's a nice book. It has words. It is a self-contained story in three hundred pages. 
So yeah, you guys got it. I'll be putting the that book's description um, or the link right into the description. You know, some other places where people can find you know your works and things like that. You guys got to go read the back of this cover right now. I'm telling you, all right. If you're like me, and I know a lot of people have said they've had similar tastes. Um, Benjamin from Low Five, for instance, one of them. Um, we just talked about that. Of like, this guy gets got smoking on your list. <laughs> yes, you do. It also it makes you look more handsome when you're next to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe people could take pictures and then send them to me, and we'll put them on the website. <laughs> I know. It also it cures skin cancer. No, it doesn't. <laughs> helps, helps the beard grow. That's what I heard. <laughs> it does. Yeah. You know, I'm actually 12 years old. <laughs> that's what that's what Dirk was telling me. So. Well, you know, I hired Dirk to play. You know, Spider. So yeah, yeah, I read yeah. all of his. <laughs> the man needs to put pants on, though. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Yeah, there was a, a, a big ongoing joke the other day with a bunch of people and a thread like that. <laughs> that thing's been going on for two years now. I know. I was like, we still, I was like, we're still on this? Okay. So I got in on it. But All right, Scott. Well, why don't you thank you again for coming on and uh, being accommodating with your schedule and everything. Um, my, like I said, I apologize that my friend crazy. So, again, Scott, thanks for coming on. Um, you know. It's always good. Now, what are you going to do? On your book. I know. You're going to go I, work. I literally, as soon as I get done with you, I'm going to get some dinner. Mm -hmm. I got to get at least 10 pages edited here for draft two. So. E eating is for the week. Just go <laughs> go do the editing. <laughs> I was at karate, so I feel like I need to, need to eat a little before editing. <laughs> karate is for the week. You could have spent that time editing. I know. Just give up karate. I felt like I really needed it today. <laughs> Hitting things works. Yeah. Yeah. I do I do put a lot of, you know, different things in. So I was teasing, speaking of research, <laughs> teasing my wife. I was like, wasn't it karate? I was at research from right now. Right we were like, yeah, it's yeah, yeah research. Yeah. yeah. She didn't buy it either. <laughs> uh, again, my wife never buys anything like that. So. I know, right? I know. Mm -hmm. um, so you guys can find this episode. As well as Scott's first episode, again, going to be on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can find us at Twitter, Facebook, um, Spotify. Um, you guys can also, you know, just get a hold of me on Facebook. Um, this is Daniel uh, Kubal. Uh, it's spelled just like you see here in the meeting. Uh, if you guys have any questions or anything for me or Scott, just let me know. You can get a hold of me at Scholars of Uma. That's U-M-A at gmail.com. I'll uh, be more than happy to pass those comments along, especially if you're reading Gathering of Ravens. Take a picture and send it to us. We'll send it to Scott, put it on the website. Just so there it is right there. No licking the cover, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to keep it as is. <laughs> well, Scott, I hope you have a good rest of the night. And as usual, I look forward to talking to you on Twitter, my friend. Okay. We'll see you there. Yep. I'll so. see you later. Have a good night, Scott. Uh, you too. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. See you later.